Welcome to Thinking Ahead, your leading edge insights podcast. Each episode reveals the latest insights on today's consumers and offers a sneak peek of tomorrow's marketplace. Stop guessing what's next and start thinking ahead. Welcome to Thinking Ahead, the GFK Insights Podcast. I'm Hannah, your host, and today we are diving, or should I say driving, into consumer buying behaviors and expectations, specifically in the automotive industry. Now, with the cutback in forms of travel like planes and cruises, there has been a surge when it comes to car usage. Now, this is mainly due to the threat of COVID-19 and the fact that consumers simply feel safer taking their own car somewhere than other modes of transportation. In this episode, I'm joined by Julie Kennar, who has decades of experience in the auto industry, both on the retail side and now on the vendor side here at GFK. We are discussing how consumers have altered their needs and expectations for their next car purchase. We'll also take a turn into the innovative world of alternative engines, which has become largely popular with the rise of Tesla and other alternative engine brands. Without further ado, let's get into the episode. Welcome, Julie. Happy to be here, Hannah. So before we get into it, what exactly is your experience with the automotive industry? So I've spent my entire career in the auto industry. I was with General Motors uh, for 17 years in a variety of different positions from working with retailers to uh, marketing, truck forecasting, uh, strategic uh, implementation uh, projects. So um, Worked a long time on the OEM side, and then I've been with GFK for 13 years, working again with automotive clients and uh, helping them with their brand positioning, strategic questions, uh, marketing effectiveness. So you've been on both the client side and the vendor side at this point. Through all those years of experience and now, now coming to today, what is the current state of the automotive industry and how is it different from how it's been before? So the auto industry today, uh, November 2020, is extremely strong. Uh, It's recovering from, quite honestly, being essentially shut down for two months during the early stages of the pandemic this past spring, where uh, most manufacturers could literally produce no vehicles. Uh, So inventories ran dry. And there was a lot of trepidation of people certainly expected that demand would fall, which it certainly did uh, in the spring. However, as production started back up and, you know, this recovery became more of a V-shaped recovery, uh, consumers came roaring back into the market and demand for new vehicles is extremely strong right now. In fact, it's so strong that uh, most manufacturers are still struggling to uh, properly stock their retailers' lots with inventory. Wow, that's really great to hear, especially if you're in the automotive industry right now. So specifically when it comes to COVID-19 and the concerns, both health and logistics, how has that affected consumers' buying decisions? So consumers are still very concerned about COVID. And, you know, there are quite a few of them, almost 40%, who say that uh, they do plan to delay their next new vehicle purchase. Uh, Most of the folks that plan to delay uh, are pushing their purchase out six months or more. 
Uh, and we tend to see a little bit more trepidation among luxury intenders than non-luxury intenders. What can an auto brand do specifically to entice people to jump on the purchase versus waiting? So one of the incentives that uh, brands rolled out uh, very early this spring uh, to spur demand was 0% financing. And we actually saw 0% financing for up to 84 months in some cases for, for very high dollar vehicles like a full size pickup that can you know quickly approach close to six figures. Uh, and that certainly spurred demand. And we do see that uh, among people who say that they have actually pulled their new vehicle purchase ahead, that that 0% APR has been the number one reason that they've pulled their purchase ahead. Uh, some other things that are enticing consumers to, to come back into the marketplace are free maintenance, and they're also reacting positively to employee pricing or employee discount offers. Wow, that's really interesting. You mentioned there uh, a minute ago about luxury versus non-luxury intenders. Can you go a little further into that, kind of explain the key differences in these two different intenders and when it comes to their mindset and priorities? Sure. So non-luxury intenders are uh, those people who say they're going to purchase more of a mass market brand. So think of Chevrolet, Ford, Toyota, Honda, um, you know, Chrysler, Dodge, those, those types of brands. Uh, luxury intenders, you know, clearly looking at brands like Audi, BMW, Mercedes, Lexus, Infiniti, Genesis, uh, you know, Alfa Romeo as, as examples of, of luxury brands. Um, we are actually see that with luxury intenders, um, we do see quite a, a difference there. And with COVID-19, what we actually see is that luxury intenders in, in some respects are becoming a little bit more practical. Uh, so whereas styling used to be kind of their number one, uh, you know, influence on consideration, we're now seeing that dependable and last long are becoming much more important to luxury intenders, which is interesting because those folks tend to lease vehicles. So in the past, they've been less concerned about whether a vehicle lasts long because they really only needed it to last three or four years just through the term of their lease. Uh, we also see with luxury intenders that they're putting more emphasis on on a trusted brand, a brand that's perceived as a leader, and definitely innovation. Uh, luxury intenders have always valued advanced features and technology, but uh, they are becoming even more attached to brands that they perceive as being very innovative and exciting. So for non-luxury intenders, uh, interestingly enough, these folks you know, tended to be more practical and we're actually seeing them become a little bit more emotional in terms of, of how they think about their, their new vehicle purchase. They're actually leaning in more on attractive styling. Value for the money, of course, you know, with, with the economy the way it is and, and the pandemic, uh, that's obviously more important. Um, and they're also leaning in heavily on leader. They want a brand that's perceived as a leader. And while trusted is still important, they're, they're saying that it's equally as important for a brand to be perceived as, as being a leader. So in that sense, um, you know, they, they may be taking a, a step back from 
maybe experimenting with a new brand and uh, they may be more interested in sticking with their current brand if, if they think that their current brand is meeting their needs. So for non-luxury buyers, when you mean that they're emotional, it sounds like they're, they want a car to make them feel good, feel powerful, things like that? Yeah, they, they definitely uh, want a vehicle that expresses themselves. Uh, you know, in terms of the styling, that's going to be very important to them. So if you think about a vehicle that fits their personality and, you know, as they're driving down the road, they're actually kind of becoming more enamored with uh, what people think about them when they're driving their vehicle. Uh, and that's typically been reserved for luxury intenders, but we're seeing that come into the non-luxury space now as well. Right, that's exactly my thought when you said that, is that it sounds like something that would be the luxury intender, so that's really surprising that it's the non-luxury. Yeah, it's it's definitely a shift that we've seen this year with the pandemic. Now, shifting gears just a little bit here, outside of just the traditional cars, there's also this huge surge in popularity when it comes to alternative engine vehicles. I think Tesla is the first thing that probably just came into your mind when you were listening to this. Uh, now... As they continue to advance in efficiency and popularity, what are the key factors really driving its growth? So you're right. Tesla uh, is definitely a, a very unique brand uh, in the industry. And, you know, certainly they're, uh, they're only offering all electric vehicles. But while other brands had offered all electric vehicles in the past, Tesla, Tesla really pushed the envelope. And as opposed to pushing environmentally friendly and fuel economy, Tesla pushed styling and performance. So in my opinion, Tesla made electric vehicles exciting um, and not necessarily utilitarian, which is where some of the earlier all-electric vehicles had, had kind of been positioned. Uh, so I think Tesla's really benefited from that, and they've really raised the bar uh, on what consumers expect from electric vehicles. And we're starting to see other uh, automotive manufacturers now start to come out with more expressive all-electric vehicles like the, the Ford Mustang Mach-E, for example, uh, the GMC Hummer EV, uh, which you know, is, is the first electric vehicle to really marry the environmentally friendliness with uh, extreme off-road capability. Uh, and then they'll have challengers like Rivian and uh, Jeep is, uh, has a Wrangler plug-in hybrid right now and they're coming out with an all-electric version as well. So um, a lot of exciting uh, entries coming to market now that are certainly moving into the capability and the styling and performance phase versus just the environmentally friendly fuel economy uh, aspects of the vehicles. So where are the pitfalls when it comes to the alternative engine where the traditional engines still reign? So right now the, the pitfalls still remains uh, within the electric vehicle range. Uh, right now in terms of what people expect from the range of, a, of an electric vehicle, they're expecting just over 300 miles uh, on one charge. And that's, that's fine for commuting back and forth to work, assuming that, you know, your, your commute is, is not extraordinarily long. Uh, but there are still obstacles there. For example, uh, we know with this pandemic that, you know, people are much less likely to take a vacation using a plane uh, or even by train, that they're, they're more likely to vacation in their vehicles. So 
With that being said, if somebody wants to drive from the Midwest or the East Coast to, you know, a national park in the Plains states, that's a 300-mile range isn't going to get them there. And they're going to have to stop and charge their vehicle. And it's going to take a while to charge their vehicle, a minimum of an hour to hour and a half. Um, and they're going to have to build that into their drive time and figure out how to entertain their family while their vehicle is charging. So I think range still remains um, a, a potential obstacle for those folks who, who really want to do more long-distance driving. Do you know if there's currently any sort of, I'm just imagining, you know, when I did a road trip when I was younger and we would have a little extra gallon of gas in the back of the car. Is there any innovation out there right now when it comes to say like a little extra battery pack for your car? Or is it simply if you run out, you run out? With with all electric vehicles, it is, there. there is no backup plan uh, right now, at least no technology that I'm aware of. So when you run out, you run out, certainly you'll have, you know, plenty of warning signs and hopefully you have already plotted out where the charging stations are on your road trip. Um, the alternative to an all electric vehicle would be a plug-in hybrid uh, vehicle. So that is a combination of electric and a gas engine. So the electric will get you so far and you can use your brakes to regenerate the charge uh, for the electric portion of the powertrain, uh, but you do still put gas in it and so you do still have kind of a, a backup plan uh, for these longer road trips. Right. So auto brands, if you're listening, whoever breaks that first and figures out how to fix that, you're going to do great. Exactly. (laughs) Now, uh, looking at the people who are interested in the alternative vehicles, is there a generational distinction between them? There, there is, uh, and it's probably not surprising that younger intenders, uh, you know, Gen Y, Gen Z, are much more open to electric vehicles. Uh, you know, roughly 50% of, of folks of, in those two generations are, are interested in buying or leasing a, a fully electric vehicle. Uh, on the other side, boomers are least interested, less than 20% of boomers say that they're interested in, in an all-electric vehicle. Um, you know, and when we think about like what's important to you know, these younger intenders, these Gen Y and Gen Z, uh, they like attractive styling. They want a vehicle with, with capability, avail- availability of four-wheel drive or all-wheel drive is, is important to them. Uh, on the flip side, with boomers, not surprising given their, their low interest in an all-electric vehicle, they are concerned about price point, and they want to make sure that an all-electric vehicle is similar in price to a gas engine vehicle, which at, at this point in time, we're, that, that economy just isn't there yet. Right, that makes sense. What about gender? Is there a difference in gender? Do, do women versus men or men versus women lean more towards the alternative engines? So it definitely skews a bit more male uh, right now, and, and men tend to be uh, make up a higher percentage of people who are early adopters of new technology, so it's not surprising that they would gravitate more towards an all-electric vehicle. Uh, men in, in general also tend to value performance 
um, over utility. And so with the electric vehicles on the market, like a Tesla really pushing that performance aspect with ludicrous mode and, you know, those types of things, um, you know, men are definitely much more interested in, in electric vehicles. Um, about 40% of men are, are say that they are interested in, in an all-electric vehicle. Women are closing the gap, though. Uh, over time, we're seeing that women are, are closing in and, and getting close to being a, about 30% of women say that they would be interested in an all-electric vehicle. And I think as more electric vehicles come out with the functionality and the versatility that women are really looking for, that we'll see that interest continue to grow. Wow. I have to be honest, I'm actually pretty surprised by that number because I was thinking that women would skew more towards them when I asked you that question. Uh, Just because, I mean, maybe this is me assuming and not looking at numbers, which is why it's important to look at insights uh, such as this. But you just imagine, you know, a manly car has gas and it's a truck and and a woman is going to go towards that environmentally friendly, stable car. So that's really interesting. Yeah, I think a lot of this has to do with the fact that when you when you look at the brands that are uh, touting their all-electric vehicles, all of them are touting zero to 60 times. Uh, so they're really pushing that performance aspect. Uh, and I think that, that is, that's one of the reasons why men are gravitating more towards it because hey, faster is better. So uh, I think that's probably why we're seeing that interest. And originally, most of the all-electric vehicles were cars and not SUVs. So I think as more SUVs are, are introduced into the marketplace, that uh, women will, will probably start to you know, perk up their interest as well. You, you mentioned earlier with the price being a big determiner, especially for like a younger generation, which maybe not, doesn't have the money to buy a nice luxury car. And of course, Tesla is considered a luxury brand. Um, so I'm going to assume that they are currently leading the charge with this. Do the non-luxury or primary players, um, are they beginning to follow suit? Is it a little more lagged? It, are the, is the technology just too expensive at this point? I think that price is definitely a factor. And actually what's interesting is that, you know, non-luxury brands like Toyota and Honda and Ford and Chevrolet, you know, they they were really the first ones to introduce electric vehicles aside from Tesla. Uh, And so I was really surprised to see that their share of of people intending and of you know, what I would call anything other than a gas or diesel engine, an alternative powertrain vehicle, uh, the mainstream brands uh, are actually losing share. And the brands that are gaining are actually your luxury brands. uh, And surprisingly enough, led by BMW. Uh, You know, BMW has the largest share of new vehicle intenders that uh, want an alternative powertrain engine. But Audi is performing well, as is Mercedes, and then, of course, Tesla is in there as well. Interesting. So if, let's say that I'm an advertiser, I work for a major automotive retailer, and we're coming out with, a, you know, an alternative engine, or we're coming out with a traditional engine at this point, what should I focus my promotions on to really capture 
auto intenders um, attention and their money eventually there's still an extremely robust market for non-electric vehicles. 70% of new vehicle intenders say that they're intending a traditional gas or, or even a diesel engine. And you know, we really haven't seen uh, electric uh, powertrains enter into the full-size pickup segment, for example. Uh, so, you know, I think there's still a lot of opportunity uh, in the non-electric or non-hybrid uh, powertrain space for OEMs. It's going to take time for people to adapt these new technologies, and price is still a barrier as well as uh, range if you're looking at all electric. So, in terms of, of positioning the vehicle, I really think it depends on the segment that it's in. You know, if it's something like a full-size pickup, then capability and being rugged and tough is still going to be important. But interestingly, we're seeing a brand like Ram do exceptionally well positioning their full-size pickups as being luxurious. And as a result, they're actually uh, conquesting people that are disposing of luxury vehicles to move into a full-size pickup. So I think marketers have been very astute in how they position you know, regular gas or diesel vehicles coming into the marketplace. Right, that makes sense. What about in terms of luxury versus non-luxury? So I think for luxury and luxury and non-luxury, there's the, the big difference probably is just the price point and you're going to appeal to different people. That being said, we're seeing that Tesla is starting to appeal to, you know, people with, you know, lower household incomes, uh, it used to be that about one-fifth of Tesla's uh, intenders were coming from households with $200,000 uh, plus household incomes. We're actually seeing that uh, gradually decrease over time, and they're actually now their mix is shifting to people in the hundred dollars to $149,000 a year household income bucket. Uh, so I think that, you know, as luxury kind of comes down in their price points, they're going to have the ability to attract more mainstream customers. But on the flip side, we have non-luxury brands, you know, Chevy, Toyota, Honda, Ford, as uh, an example, and they're actually moving more upscale. So from a price point perspective, uh, it's very easy for consumers now to flip back and forth between mainstream and luxury because the price points are, are really starting to overlap, particularly when you look at SUVs. Well, there's clearly a lot of really cool opportunity and a lot of shifts happening in the automotive industry. So that's going to be really interesting to see how it all plays out. For my final question, I'm going to ask you, thinking ahead, what do you think are the biggest opportunities and challenges that the auto industry should be looking out for for the next five years? Well, I certainly think that it's going to be important to increase the corporate average fuel economy. And, and I think most of the uh, automotive companies are, are doing this and, and they're very focused on that. Uh, with that said, they still have to bring vehicles to the marketplace that consumers can afford and that will meet consumers' needs. So, uh, all electric vehicles are certainly, you know, going to help meet these uh, the fuel economy standards, but they have to be capable, they have to be functional, uh, and certainly range is going to continue to, to be a pinch point. So, uh, you know, they really have to continue to be focused on extending that range so that 
it's not just the people who have, you know, very short commutes, uh, but, you know, what do you do with people who have longer commutes or live in cold weather states or states with, you know, aggressive terrain? Uh, because all of those things diminish uh, battery uh, performance. So uh, still some technological advances that need to take place, but I think that the industry is absolutely headed in the right direction, and they're definitely dedicated to, to improving the performance of these vehicles going forward. Well, thank you so much, Julie, for joining me today. If you are interested in learning more about what we've talked about here, and get some more visuals for the numbers, I'm going to link uh, Julie's recent webinar that she presented on the future of automotive industry. Uh, It is now available on demand. It is completely free. So I highly recommend you check that out if you do want some more information. Also, if you have a moment, please help me out by scrolling to the bottom of that podcast platform and leave us a rating and review. We'd love to hear from you. Feedback and episode requests are welcome. Also, don't forget to hit that subscribe button so that you never miss an episode. Thanks, Julie. Thank you, Hannah. And now our closing segment, Listen to This, where we'll share some fun facts pulled from our studies across GFK. As you just heard from Julie, alternative engines are on the rise. One of the big reasons for this is, of course, the current concerns for the environment. So how concerned are we now compared to before? Listen to this. Long-term research from GFK Consumer Life shows that environmental concerns are on the steady rise. Since our recovery from the Great Recession, financial concerns declined and Americans are now paying more attention to mounting threats to climate change. It is now the number three concern in the U.S. That's up 11 points since 2015. And it's likely that the pandemic will not get in the way of the growth of this trend. Concern about global warming during the early days of COVID-19 in 2020 actually went up slightly from its 2019 level. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Thinking Ahead. For more information on today's topic, click the link in the description. We'll see you next time so you can keep thinking ahead.